Well, good morning. So good to be with you all this morning. If we have not met, my name is Jonathan, and uh, let me answer the question. Many of you have asked, and probably all of you are wondering, yes, I did put sunscreen on my head. So we're okay for at least the next hour or so. Um, we're going to wrap up our Christ-like series. This is what we've been looking at the last few weeks here at Pulpit Rock, uh, looking at this idea of Jesus' life, not just the things he said, but really the manner of life that he lived. And it seems appropriate that we would be wrapping up this series here outside, because one thing that was true of Jesus uh, is he almost always, when he preached and when he was doing teaching, was outside. That was a consistent theme. Most of his sermons were given outside, uh, which is uh, just a better opportunity, I think, to preach outside. You can look at the mountains. You can, If I bore you, you can wander off. I don't know if he had a bouncy house when he would preach, but that is also available if you're interested. Uh, yeah, the question we're going to ask uh, and keep asking is just how do we model our lives off of his way of life? And the goal is not that there just be sameness, but that each of us in our own way embody who he is in a way that is aligned with how God made us. And so that's what we're trying to press into. Today, I want to look at a passage in John 17. So if you have a Bible or a device, find your way to John 17. Um, this is going to be a picture where Jesus just is doing one thing in the chapter uh, 17 of John. He is praying. So this is something Jesus often did. I don't know how much you've thought about the idea of Jesus praying, but it's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, what we understand about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are one, but they are uh, three. And uh, this idea of Jesus praying, it kind of begs the question of who is he praying to? If Jesus is fully God, fully human, is he praying to himself? Would he say, like, dear Jesus? Uh, obviously, probably not. Uh, but what is the nature of God praying to God? It's a fascinating question. What we believe by faith is simply this. It's a, a mysterious truth to us, but that God exists in oneness. There is only one God, and yet within that oneness, there are these three persons where there is constant fellowship. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are constantly fellowshipping with one another. And if we think of prayer as just going to God, asking him to do things, it seems kind of weird that God would go to God to ask something from God. But if we think of prayer in what I think is a more biblically accurate way, that it is us fellowshipping with God, then it starts to make a little bit of sense. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in constant fellowship with one another. And so when we see Jesus praying, what he is doing is he is, allowing us to see some of that fellowship between him and his heavenly father. And that's what we get to see in John 17. We're looking over Jesus' shoulder um, as he is praying to his heavenly father. The scene is right before he goes to the cross. In fact, the night before he's arrested, he is with the disciples in the upper room, and he begins praying about a, a long list of things, fellowshipping with his heavenly father, sharing his heart with God. Um, and at the end of the prayer, What's notable to me is he actually prays for us. And so it's notable that he prays, but it's also notable the thing that he prays for us. It, it's so surprising to me on some level. Um, I want to look at it. John 17, we'll start in verse 20. Jesus begins his prayer for us with this. My prayer is not for them alone. Now, them is his disciples, his immediate followers here. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. 
and that would be us, right? I just want to pause for a second. We'll get to the bulk of what he's praying for us, but I just want to observe this. Uh, I think we need to observe this often in the American church. Jesus has a lot of confidence about the future of his movement. Do we see that? Like Jesus is always confident. So much so that in this moment, the night before he goes to the cross, he, his vision is down the years, thousands of years ahead, where there will be generation after generation of people who believe in him because of what his followers were about to do. That's where his vision is fixed in this moment, not just on the immediate circumstance of what his followers were going to face and what they needed to understand, but thousands of years down the road, he is seeing people like us. And I think we need to remember at this point, there is no rational reason for it. At this point, his movement is not going particularly well. He has people abandoning him. He is about to die himself, yet he is totally confident. As a side note, this is not the main point of the, th the sermon here today, but I just want to point this out every chance I get. Something we need to learn from Jesus is Jesus is never worried about his kingdom. Like, never worried about his kingdom. Being worried about the kingdom of God is a uniquely human thing. Jesus is never worried about his kingdom. Can we say that together? Jesus is never worried about his kingdom. Turn to your neighbor, say this. Jesus is never worried about his kingdom. Now that's really important for us because this has been true for uh, the last, just the last 2,000 years. In every generation for 2,000 years, there have been moments where to our human eyes, and I think this has happened in every generation that has come since Jesus, there have been moments where our human eyes, we look at it and we're like, oh no, Jesus is losing. Oh no, the enemy is about to win. Oh no, the gospel is about to go away. And we start to panic. And in every generation, there have been voices just like there are today that are, are sounding the alarm of fear that are saying, we better do something or the gospel's going to lose. And for 2,000 years, those voices have been wrong. For 2,000 years, Jesus' confidence has been correct. He, he, on this moment, sees all of it unfold before him, and he prays with confidence, knowing that we would one day be here believing in him. It's the worst day of all human history, the next day after this prayer, when we killed the Son of God. And what is he doing? The night before the worst day, he is praying about generations of believers. He has total confidence in the staying power of the gospel of his grace and mercy. That's who our Savior is. We should too. I know I don't have to tell you this, but it's true. All of the decisions that we tend to make out of fear of losing are bad ones. Um, they almost never work out the way we'd hoped. And I think what we see in Jesus uh, is the sort of decisions that you make when you're confident in the outcome. Uh, when you're confident that God's kingdom is going to be just fine. And I think that's what we first have to notice about the way Jesus prays is uh, Jesus prays with this in mind. God's kingdom is perpetually just fine because who controls the destiny of God's kingdom? God, right? He did not entrust the outcome of this thing to us flawed, broken, and sinful humans, right? And when we feel that fear of, oh, no, we're losing— it is because we think he has entrusted the outcome of this thing to us flawed, broken, and sinful humans. But Jesus looks at it and says, no, 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 God is in control of this. So I'm going to pray thousands of years in the future for people like you all as you trust in Jesus. Now, here's what he prays. 
praying with confidence. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And here's what he prays, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's fascinating. He could have prayed anything. It's notable what he prayed for. It is also, to me at least, notable what he didn't pray for. What maybe I would expect him to pray for, but he didn't. Jesus, you will note, he does not pray for our theological understanding or our accuracy, right? Like, that's not, that's not what his heart is in this moment. Now, I think Jesus, obviously, he wants us to understand the truth. He wants us to know the truth. Of course he does. That's not what he's praying for us in this moment. You will also note this. Jesus doesn't pray for our holiness, which is really surprising to me. He does not pray that his followers would resist sin and embrace righteousness. And again, of course Jesus cares about that, but that isn't the top of his list when he looks generations down the line. It's also notable to me this. He doesn't actually pray for effectiveness of mission. He talks about effectiveness of mission, but notice the way he talks about it, it's a byproduct of something else. It's if we do this, then this mission will move effectively and the world will know. And so there's one thing at the top of his list, and that is the one thing that he prays for us for sure. What is the one thing? In a word, it's unity, right? It is our unity. That is the only thing that he prays for us, looking down the generational uh, spectrum to see all the followers who would believe in him. He says, I pray for their unity and for their oneness. Is that, does that shock you a little bit? To me, that is like an arresting truth that of all the things Jesus could have prayed for us, his church today, it is unity that he prays for oneness above everything else. And he doesn't just pray for it. He qualifies it. He says uh, it's like the type of unity that he has with his heavenly father. So he's not just talking about uh, like an institutional unity, like that we're all members of the same organization. I think what he's talking about is more like maybe a family, more like familial unity, like a family has, like the father has with the son, with the Holy Spirit. He says, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. So the unity is actually based on this mutual belonging to God. And he says, for my followers in the future, what I hope is that they'll have this oneness based on the fact that they belong to us. And that's very different than maybe church membership, right? That's not all he's talking about is institutional unity. It's this idea that all of us who belong to God recognize that we are deeply connected because of that belonging to God, and we're living out of that connection. And what Jesus says is, when that happens, when there's oneness and unity between my followers, he predicts that people are going to look at that and they're going to say, wow, I've never seen anything like that. Jesus must be from God because I've never seen anything like that. And I, I believe him. I believe that. I mean, can you imagine, in, of all places in our country, if there was a place 
where people, despite their differences, despite their uh, major disagreements on all sorts of issues, still live together in oneness and mutuality? I, I mean, I, it feels like he's praying for a miracle here. There is no place like that in our world, right? Almost every place in our world you will find we separate based on sameness. We find people who are just like us. And what he is praying for is that even despite differences, that there would still be oneness because of our belonging to God. I Think about what separates us. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not spoiling it for you when I say there are deep factions within our country. Our country is pretty amazing. We're about to celebrate it July 4th. But there are some deep factions within our country. Can we agree? Yes. Um, and the idea that there would be a group of people who overcome those deep factions because we belong to God and we recognize at the end of the day we are all flawed humans who belong to a loving God. I mean, that's an extraordinary idea. Call me cynical, uh, but like to me, that might be the most extraordinary miracle I could picture right now. Like I know there's a lot of great miracles that Jesus could do, and feel free to disagree with me on this. I'm going to start naming some issues here, but like if I saw a place, let's just take what's happening in the news right now. If I saw a place where pro-choice Christians and pro-life Christians loved each other well, if I saw a place where Black Lives Matter Christians and All Lives Matter Christians loved each other well, where Build the Wall Christians and pro-immigrant Christians are loving each other well, we're anti-vaxxers and double maskers. We're affirming and non-affirming believers. We're egalitarians and complementarians. I could keep going, but I think you get what I'm driving at here. Um, if I saw a place where those people didn't just separate because of their differences, but they said there's something more important about us, and it's that we belong to Christ. And so we're going to walk in unity. We're going to walk in love, and I'm going to love people that I vehemently disagree with, because they also belong to God, just like I do. I mean, what a miracle. I, like, to me, you can disagree with this. That would be a more convincing miracle right now at this point in history than if I saw someone miraculously healed. Right? I, like, I believe that can happen. I, I, like, absolutely. I'm not sure about this sort of unity. Like, sometimes I doubt it. At the very least, I think we have to look at this, and we have to recognize just, like, there is an audacity to what Jesus prays that is God-sized, right? Like that sort of unity despite our differences, it just doesn't exist on earth. It didn't exist on earth in his day, and it will not exist on earth apart from the presence of God, apart from people who understand that they so belong to God that they can be one even with those they disagree with. I think that's why it's so convincing to our world, because it just doesn't exist in any other place. Let me ask you this, uh, just in the quietness of your heart, when you hear Jesus, of all the things he could have prayed for this group of people, that's what he prays for us? What does that do to your heart? How does that land with you? When you hear him bringing this to his heavenly father, fellowshipping with God about this dream that it could be like that. I don't know about you, but I, I hear that and like it makes me hungry for it. It makes me long for that sort of thing. I mean, to be a part of that miracle on earth, that'd be just extraordinary, just to even glimpse it. To be a part of a community where being in Christ and having Christ in us matters more than anything else, 
it, it just would be extraordinary. You know, this is something we're trying to step into at Pulpit Rock. Um, and I think I, I'll speak for all of us when I say it's not always easy. <laughs> we stub our toe on this all the time. We're learning about it. We're, we're not giving up on it. Um, there was something as I was thinking about this and just the audacity of what Jesus prays, and I just want to end with this. I think he gives us a clue as to how to pursue it that's really important, and I just want to throw it out as a challenge this morning. Notice how he describes what this unity looks like. He uses very intimate words. He says, I in them and you in me. Like there's a, a, a lot of presence to that language. Does that make sense? Like it's proximity language. It's language about how close you are to someone else. It talks about people overlapping in space, right? Like, like the, that's a clue, I think, that points to a greater principle. Here's what I would say is maybe a principle that I would pull out of this. Unity and proximity are related. And I think unity might just be a face-to-face -face sort of thing, right? Think about the factions we have in our society. Um, most of the issues that we you know, separate into factions on are not face-to-face -face sort of things. They're based on opinions and ideas, and we play them out in the media. We play them out posting online. Distance from each other is a central feature of factions, within people, right? Um, that, that's part of our contentious culture is there's a lot of distance between the people that we might disagree with. We don't generally look at our opponents in the eyes. We're looking at a computer screen or a TV or a monitor or whatever. And I think the enemy loves that. The enemy just delights in that, the way that our society is structured. The enemy says, yeah, write that angry post. That's a great idea. Write it. Stick with your people. Don't cross any lines. Like, don't meet the people on the other side. Like, that's how our society is constructed. And I think the enemy just delights in keeping us separate so that we're not ever face-to-face -face with the people that we struggle to have unity with. But the unity Jesus talks about, I in them, uh, and them in, in me, or how does he say it? I in them, you in me. Um, it's a different set of behaviors. It's much harder to demonize someone when you're face-to-face -face looking in their eyes. It's not impossible, but it's harder. And so I think one of the clues that Jesus gives us here is that there is a secret to this miraculous type of unity, and the secret is some sort of proximity. It's to really encounter people, to get face-to-face -face with people, because unity is based on being able to see one another and see this person actually belongs to God, just like I do. That's what the unity is based on, according to Jesus. So here's my hope. Here's my challenge for us as a church. I want us to be Christ-like, but I think part of what that means is that we're stepping into the one thing we know he prayed for us. And I think that means we have to be close enough to see people. We have to get face-to-face -face with people. We have to stay face-to-face -face with people. And specifically, I think we have to, to work to be face-to-face -face with other believers that we disagree with, that we are in conflict with, that we think are wrong, that we are afraid of. And as we get face-to-face, -face, the goal is not to get them to think like us. That sort of unity is readily available in the world. People who think the same way bonding together over that. The goal is to see our mutual belonging to Christ. That is what is, is the most important thing about unity. And so a question I want us to just ponder today, we're halfway through the summer. Let me just ask, who do you need to get face to face with? 
Who do you need to get face-to-face with this summer? If Jesus is right in what is going to ultimately convince the world that he's from God, is our ability to demonstrate oneness despite our differences? And I think he is right. I think that would be convincing. It's not unity because we all agree. You can get that anywhere. But unity because we recognize we belong to our Jesus. If that is what convinces the world, what do we need to do to get face-to-face with people and recognize their belonging with Jesus? How can we protect it? How do we do a better job at seeing people, at recognizing their belonging to God and connecting over that? That's the challenge for us. And so I just want to ask that as we close, who do you need to get face-to-face with? There's probably somebody. Um, Who do you need to get face-to-face with? Jesus, we come to you, I, I at least come to you shocked that this is what you pray for us. It feels like there's other things that would be more important, but God, I, I trust you. I trust that this is top of the list for you, and so it needs to be top of the list for us. God, I pray for uh, all my brothers and sisters here. Uh, God, we want to be a place of unity, a place that values belonging to God above all else, certainly above all the issues we disagree on. And so, God, I pray that you challenge us, that you'd uh, just provoke us to get face-to-face when we get sideways with someone, to spend time actually engaging over it, to have long conversations that are centered on your grace for us, and to be a place where people are seen first and foremost. That's what we want, God. We trust that as we do that, that it will have some convincing effect to the watching world. And so we pray that for us. We pray that for the church in this country, the church around the world. Lord, that there would be a new spirit of unity. We're all tired of the division, of the arguments, of the factions, of all that stuff. We're all tired of it. But God, we need your mercy to save us from it. So may you fill us with your spirit. May you create in us a deep sense of belonging. And may you help us to see that in others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.